Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because they never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats Man. My dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everybody, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. We are gearing up for this tropical storm that's coming in due to Hurricane Hillary off the coast. So by the time that you hear this, if you're in Los Angeles or anywhere along Southern California coast, you are probably going to be deluged with water from what the forecasts are saying. So stay dry. I want to get right into this week's episode. I'm so excited about it. It is a really amazing heart-to-heart talk with Evan Papadakis, who is the owner of Zuzu's Petals Eatery. It's located in the East Village of the LBC, as we like to say, also known as Long Beach. And it's right off of Alameda's on 3rd Street. I just want to give a heads up because we do talk about a catastrophic car accident that Evan was in, which is integral to the story of the successful opening of Zuzu's Petals. Without this life-altering event, Zuzu's Petals wouldn't exist. So with that said, I have to put the spoiler up here on the front simply because I want to be sensitive to anybody who's gone through something like that or is recovering from it. Um, It's a very important episode. It's a very important story. And it ends well. It ends fantastically. But I did want to put that here in the front. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. So please grab a cuppa and join Evan and me in this week's In the Company of Friends talk. Enjoy. Do you want to start with Papadakis Taverna? Sure. See how funny I changed the way that I said the last name for that, because that's how I always pronounced it. Yeah. Papadakis, Papadakis, Papadakis. Um, I've heard them all. (laughs) So... The Taverna was in San Pedro. It was like a landmark restaurant and he grew up there. I did. Yeah. The restaurant that my uncle John opened in 1973 in his early mid 20s. And my dad started working there in his early 20s for my uncle was around for 11 years before I was born. And I knew nothing but the restaurant. Uh, my entire life, it was always there. And it was a part of the fabric of our family and our upbringing. Everything revolved around the restaurant and my father and my uncle working there to make it as special as it became over the years. To this day, uh, it's been closed for about 13 years now. And to this day, I still run into people who, when they realize my connection with the restaurant, just light up with their experiences there over the years, dining and feeling a part of what my family was cultivating there, which is family, love, warmth, Um, coming in and feeling like you're a part of. And I got to see that firsthand my whole life up through my early 20s. So that was definitely a big part of my experience growing up and my decision making in going into this venture with Suzu's Petals. It was an amazing restaurant. I can't help but wonder what meals were like at home. Like, were there a lot of 
experimental, amazing dishes that were made? Or was it like, oh my God, we cook so much at the restaurant. We're just doing something simple (laughs) at home. It was, you know, I would say we landed somewhere in between those. And there'd be times where my dad would make something very special for us as his presence at the dinner table was very special. Uh, Most Mm -hmm. nights he was at the restaurant making sure that everything there was going well. And a lot of times just that simple, big, uh, it it had to be abundant, um, but a big, nice abundance of food and gathering around the table and breaking bread. That's really special to be able to have that kind of family atmosphere growing up, that unity, that connectivity, where everybody's getting together at the same time and having these warm gatherings. So I bet those are some really great memories. Very much so, yeah. So the restaurant sold after you left. So yeah, right about 2010, Early in the year that year, my dad and Uncle John decided it was a time and they closed January of 2010. And prior to that happening, myself, my sister, my brother, my cousins, my Uncle John's kids, we had all gone to college, got degrees. Some of us went to postgraduate work and were in our careers that we had all been told by our family to go pursue, contrary to a lot of beliefs about, you know, the quintessential family business, our family told us, you know, go do something you love. If you don't love this, don't do it. It's all consuming. It requires a lot of you all the time. And so we all went out and got our degrees and we started our lives and our careers. I was fascinated with mental health, I was fascinated with why people are who they are, why they do what they do, especially individuals who are in need, in need of support, uh, mental health support. I was interested in figuring out what was happening and how we could correct the course and provide support. So I went out, I got a master's degree at the University of Southern California in social work, and I was an MSW. I actually graduated in 2010, the same year the restaurant closed. My first position postgraduate was at the Beach City's Health District in Redondo Beach. And the Health District's job, one of their many, was to be of service to the community that it was in. And so the Beach Cities of Redondo, Hermosa, Manhattan received services in the department I worked in, did home visits to the older adults of the Beach Cities that needed some support in one way or another so that we could ensure they could stay safely in their homes for as long as possible before perhaps having to go to a memory care facility. And it was very enriching. I did home visits for a little over two years working there and provided services, subsidized services for these older adults and disabled members of those communities. And that was wonderful. I was on my way. I was I was doing something completely different than anyone in our big family had ever done. I was making my mark and I was enjoying being of service because I grew up in that restaurant where we are of service. And I learned that type of work ethic from my dad, my uncle John, working there and seeing them serve people and take care of people from the beginning all the way to the exit when they left, making people feel warm and a part of. So after my time at the Beach Cities, I got a position at the VA Veterans Affairs, uh, the Veteran Administration on the west side over on the Wilshire campus. And I worked there for a little over a year in the housing department. We worked with homeless veterans and we helped them get through the housing process with vouchers and set up services, job training. Uh, If there was substance abuse, we set up treatment programs, furniture, clothing, appliances, helped them with budgeting, anything we could do to help them sustain their voucher and stay in an apartment. 
And that was wonderful. And the VA really hires great people. I was, was around a great team, young, enthusiastic, energetic social workers. The commute eventually got to me. I was living in San Pedro at the time. I didn't really want to move up to the West side. And so my stint there was a little shorter as a result than I had anticipated. But it gave me an opportunity to start working with the population that I really always felt in my heart I was destined to work with. And that was the youth. I had started off working with older adults, and then I moved my way down to middle-aged veterans. And now it was time to go into working with youth, with their whole lives in front of them and real opportunities for change to be sustained and impactful in their lives. And I started working for this nonprofit in the South Bay called Freedom For You, which was run by Dr. Greg Allen. And we provided services for school districts and counseling and resources. I went into the schools, high school, middle schools, and talked with students and ran social skills groups and family dynamic groups and substance use groups. Schools would identify their most at-risk youth and we would come in and work with them. And I really enjoyed that. I loved the energy there. Throughout this time, I was working on my internship hours to be able to take the licensing exams in the state of California. And after working with the nonprofit for a little while, I was in a position to become licensed and I took the exams and passed them, which expanded the opportunities for work exponentially. And I started working for Clear Recovery Center, which is located in the South Bay as well. And their focus is substance use, outpatient treatment. They've since expanded to provide many more services across the board, inpatient services, residential, sober living, and outpatient for mental health and for dual diagnosis, substance use, et cetera, and worked with Clear Recovery Center on and off from 2015 to present, actually. I do some supervising for their interns now at this point. It's a tapered down position where I'm contracting with them as an independent provider. But I'm still, I still have a foot in the door. Um, Despite all that's occurred in the last few years to bring me to the restaurant, this is something that I still believe in. Wow. I mean, there were, I wrote a couple of things down while you were talking. Um, One of the things that really made an impression on me when you were talking, because I worked at a restaurant for about a year and a half before I had kids and I was the banquet manager there. I'd never worked in food service prior to that. And you're so right with how important it is to make each patron, each guest that comes into the restaurant feel like family, that their every need is going to be taken care of. It it really almost is a talent. I mean, it's something that you have to practice. And it's really amazing that that's what you grew up with, and then entered a field where that was uniquely required to that field as well. Yeah, a really complimentary. uh, you're, You're right that both industries are about fulfilling individuals needs and trying to accommodate what their needs are and bring them through an experience where you're curating their care. And I feel like at the restaurant, the stakes are just as high to meet people where they're at and provide for them an experience that stays with them in a positive way. And they can draw from long after they've left as something that was meaningful. Wow. Yeah. And also you had mentioned about what makes individuals tick. What is it about their personalities or, you know, how do you help them move along? And when I worked in medicine, I would see these charts coming across my desk and there would be often the the demographics were almost exactly the same, but I would notice one person really struggling to stay healthy or, you know, to make it through life, you could tell when you talk to them. And then the other person 
had very similar symptoms, very similar issues, and they were just always happy. And seeing that big contrast, it always made me wonder, like, what is the secret that this person has? What is the difference between these two people who've gone through the same thing and one of them handles it really well and the other one doesn't? I don't know if that was your interest or not, but I, I can see how it could be really fascinating. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's that's it right there. That's what hooked me the most, I think, in the development of my course and what I wanted to do post undergrad. You know, I I really am fascinated by how people are who they are, what makes them who they are. And social work being such a broad scope, I felt gave me the opportunity to see the whole person in their environment and learn about them and what their family endured over the years to bring them to where they're at and the generational ties that we have. It was all so interesting to me at that time in my life. It's so complex. Yeah. How long did you do that for? All in, I was a psychotherapist, counselor, um, lots of different words to describe what I did, social worker, basically a mental health professional from 2010 to 2021 when I wound my practice down and closed it officially. So 11 years. Wow. it's a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to close it down? Um, great question. There was a catalyst that I think sped the process up for me to realize that it was time to try something else. So January of 2019, I am leaving my office and I went to run an errand five minutes down the road. It was pouring rain. I was driving at the time a 1969 Camaro. I had convinced my wife nine months prior that this was the time, this was the car. It's always been this car since I was a middle schooler. Mm -hmm. And I could wait till I was old and gray and could barely get in and out of it. (laughs) get one or I could get one now and just work for it and live it and experience it. And I was going through this whole live your life now and be present and have fun. Don't worry so much uh, type of feeling. The whole YOLO mentality. Yeah. Yeah. That was 2018. Uh, January 2019, I'm in this vehicle that I had acquired and was enjoying thoroughly for those nine months when I hydroplaned just kind of a freak thing and hit head on, head on collision in an intersection in Redondo Beach. Oh my God. And that was the moment. That was the flash right there. The snap of a finger. One life gets halted. And a new life begins. And it's interesting to reflect on. I get goosebumps still to this day. I have some right now. About the drastic juxtaposition of one event and how quickly that event can change everything. I was taken to Harbor UCLA County Hospital because that is the nearest trauma one center in the area and my injuries necessitated me to be rushed there and to have immediate surgeries to attempt to save my life. Um, I had ruptured a heart valve. I was bleeding internally. I had various injuries to my upper body, fractured my C2 vertebrae. So I was very close to being a quadriplegic I broke my sternum in two. I shattered nine ribs. Um, 
you know, 1969 Camaros, they don't have airbags and anti-lock brakes and shoulder harnesses. So I really didn't set myself up for success that day. But that's part of my story is going out and living life and learning things uh, sometimes the hard way. Now, tomorrow's just never promised. I, I've got goosebumps now with what you're saying. And, I, and I'm really, really sorry that you went through that. At the time... I couldn't wrap my head around anything positive, not one thing that could have come from that in the days and the months following the accident. For a while, it was a long time not really understanding why it occurred as a person who was always looking for the why and the reason behind things and the meaning behind things. I was just drawing blanks and, um, It was, uh, you know, you're in a car, you're driving, and then you wake up in the car that has been ravaged in an accident and body is in shock, struggling for breath, in and out of consciousness. And then you wake up a couple days later in the ICU after undergoing a few surgeries and I, I couldn't talk very much. It was painful to do almost anything. And I was writing down on a piece of paper that I couldn't see that was down by my arm. What happened? <laughs> uh, what happened? Why? What? What? what is everyone okay? Um, I was supposed to go back to my office that day and see a handful of clients. And one of my first questions was, you know, what happened with the clients? Was anyone able to get a hold of them? I was just at a loss. And it ended up being a month-long stay at Harbor, four weeks. My injuries necessitated me to stay longer until I was stable enough to discharge. I had just a slew of things, you know, uh, collapsed lungs. I developed pneumonia in the hospital. I had... um, a lot of open wounds that were needing to be drained and and heavy antibiotics and pain medicine and just the whole the whole gambit and 12 days in the ICU and then the rest of the time recovering on the 3rd and the 6th floor I believe and it was I think Valentine's Day yeah I think it was like the day before or the day of Valentine's Day in 2019 I was discharged wow that is an amazing story, and I got goosebumps just um, listening to you. That would be such a trial to go through. There really is no answer when you ask those why questions. What ended up being the answer? Was it more of lessons that you learned, or did you actually get an answer to your why? I'm sorry. I don't know if that's too personal of a question. No, I love that. Um, I love that, Sil. The why developed little by little over time, and it only was time. Time was the great factor. Um, these beams of light would would strike here and there that helped shape the experience. I'm a believer that you can't go through something like that and just shrug your shoulders and go, oh, well, it is what it is, and move on. I, I believe that things happen and we need to pull what we can from those events to shape and help with the meaning of why we're here, what our purpose is, and that whole arena. I'm a very productive person. I like to stay busy. I like to keep moving. My mind's always going at fast revolutions. And uh, that accident completely sidelined me for months where I I just, I lived on a couch and I had a nursing visit once a day to change dressings and redo pick lines and things. I had to wrap myself in plastic to bathe, to shower. It was just this like complete, like I just had entered Mars and was trying to figure out how to live life on Mars. Like Bowie said, you know, and Are you married at the time? Yes. At the, so the, the day of the accident, I am a married man 
And we have a 14-month-old daughter at home that I said goodbye to that morning. And then I didn't see her for a month. Mm. Harbor is not a place to go for a 14-month-old. And even if it were for her to see me incapacitated and hooked up to a bunch of machines and tubes was not what we were going for at the time and thought it best to just have her stay back. But that that right there is an impact that we're still seeing the ripple effects of to this day. She's now five, almost six in November. And we notice when I'm not around, and recently I've been at the restaurant a lot, that there's behavior that comes from separation anxiety, stress Mm -hmm. of, you know, where's dad? Uh, When's dad coming back? How long is dad going to be gone? And it's like, it's deep in the synapses. It's, it's fired and it's wired. And she remembers parts of that time. Well, we talk about it, you know, how can a 14 month old remember that? But it's, it's in the DNA. It's coded now. She might not be able to put words to it, But yeah, this all happens and I'm on the couch and she's being watched by caregivers, family. I can't even watch her by myself. I can't really move. I can't pick her up. That's how bad the accident was. And yet in that state, my only thought was I need to get back to doing something. I need to have purpose as as soon as possible. I feel like I'm just withering away here and I need to go be of service. I need to go be productive. I need to be, uh, I need to, need to, need to, need to. And that mentality had me get back into my practice and the work with my clients very, very soon, uh, too soon in retrospect after the accident. But I was going out of my mind on the couch. I was experiencing a depression I had never encountered before. I was forlorn and the feelings of impending doom and anyone who's ever battled with depression knows it's just, it's, it is debilitating and it, it ravages your thoughts and your belief systems and has you questioning things that you never questioned before. And it's, it's wild. And I, I was sitting right in it and I almost needed to have something that was distracting me from my own thoughts. And I figured, well, if I'm in a session and I'm focused on my clients for those hours I'm there, those are at least some hours that I'm not in my upside down world, as I called it from Stranger Things, which was mm-hmm. popular at the time. Just, but I'd say, you know, I'm in the upside down world here. Nothing makes sense. Everything's different. And that is what depression feels like. That's a perfect name for it. That is how it feels. It's nothing, nothing makes sense. No. And I... I was battling that. I was still taking aggressive antibiotics. I was taking aggressive pain medicine. And those two medicines don't make you feel good. Don't make you feel like yourself, you know, healthy, happy, vigorous. And then the injuries, my body adjusting to its new self all in a moment, you know, uh, you're walking, you're talking, you're taking for granted just the ability to get in and out of your car with ease. And then in a moment, you can't get in and out of a car without help. You can't walk down the hall without stopping to catch your breath. And you can't really talk and force air out of your lungs as efficiently. And it's wild. Just keep using that word because I descriptors fail that juxtaposition that I was in. And so this is the background, the fabric of my movement towards the restaurant, which at the time, this first year in 2019, I didn't know that was where I was heading either. I was in survival mode and putting one foot in front of the other. And all I knew how to do was 
what I had been doing. And I went back to my practice in the Malaga Cove shopping center that I had opened in 2017 while I was doing all this other work around town for the youth nonprofit and the Clear Recovery Center. And I went back there at the earliest possible time I could. I was cleared to drive again. I was cleared to take my neck brace off that I had to wear for about three months. And... The people I had been working with were informed of what happened through colleagues and a system I had set up in the case of emergency. Most of them, when I was ready again or able to again, come back to the office to resume their treatment at that time. And then and some of them were referred out to other colleagues that had more pressing needs. Um, and I went back to work. It was about the summer of 2019. I found out that I needed two more surgeries around that time as well that were a bit of a setback. My sternum wasn't healing properly. Uh, so I had those done at Torrance Memorial and I was back on pain medicine, but I was going to the office a few days a week and I was seeing people. And I did that for the better part of that year between the summer of 2019 to the summer of 2020. I got to about September of 2020 when I felt absolutely and utterly burnt out, lost, and struggling to understand what was next because I, I had started to feel like I really cannot do the work any longer. And one of the biggest principles of doing that kind of work is being able to hold space for the other and really being able to leave your stuff at the door and hold the space in the room for what's happening with the client. And the space had diminished, the bandwidth had diminished. Um, the curiosity really about what was going on with the other and how I can help figure out paths towards healing had diminished. Everything had diminished and I was running on fumes, just trying to find my way again and figuring out that what I had been doing the previous decade was not clicking any longer, which brought its own new levels of despair and frustration and questions and the unknown. So at this time, it's about September of 2020, the pandemic had occurred in March of that year. So we're about six months into the pandemic. Almost all that type of work went viral at the time. And all of a sudden, the mental health field went from in-person to Zoom. Mm -hmm. And that was tough to, I think, I, I talked to colleagues at the time and today and colleagues that were in their best selves at the time and loving what they were doing struggled to shift the work to the computer and the video and audio recording systems. And I was navigating those new waters as well. And taking what used to be, in my opinion, something very intimate and meant for in-person interaction to something that was once removed from that and figuring out that space and how that worked. And it so this was tough, tough times. And we get to September of 2020 and my wife, Nina, is looking at me and is, you know, she's saying, ha. I don't know how much longer you got in you for this. And why don't you, you know, instead of running for the hills or continuing to bear down and go to the office, which were like the two sides of the spectrum that represented the extreme, why don't you take like a sabbatical? Why don't you, why don't you try to take a break, but not like for a week or even two weeks why don't you take a few months? You, you ran back to the office as soon as you could. And you've been doing that ever since for the last year without breaks. Maybe you haven't healed fully emotionally, uh, spiritually, physically. Take some time. So I took time 
And I alerted my clients that I needed to have a break from the work and again, went through the process of referring clients out to colleagues and making arrangements for people so that I could be away from that and work on myself, spend time with myself. And so September through the end of the year in 2020 was a time for me to reflect and to see if going back to work was something that somehow was infused back into me through that break or if it was uh, not. And it was ended up being the latter as I was approaching the end of that year and gearing up to go back to the office in January of 21. I just, my heart wasn't there. I wasn't enthusiastic about going back in. I, I've still felt burnt out, tired, emotionally drained. And at that point, I was thinking, I said, well, what, what, what now? What do I do? I, I, I'm a person that has to do something to, you know, stay ahead of the curve. And this light bulb went off in my head. And this is where we get to the etiology of the restaurant and what I'm doing today. Wow. You know, it was just so insightful and loving of Nina to take that time and really see you and see your struggles and see what you were going through. At the same time, I'm listening to you. You're recovering from a catastrophic accident that ravaged you. I mean, all the injuries that you mentioned, it it was so monumental. You're trying to be a parent. You're trying to work at the same time. And then on top of it all, then COVID hits. And it's a lot. And you're just trying to plow through that. And it's, you know, I use the word commendable so much because there is so much that is commendable. And that certainly is. But how wonderful that your wife was able to say, this is not working and you need to take a break and you need to breathe and you need to reconnect with who you are and kind of process all of these things that have happened so that you can move forward. And I think too, I just have to mention with your daughter, because you mentioned that she has some separation anxiety because of what happened. I think that eventually what she's going to really hang on to is the resilience that you have in being able to get through all of these things, because it's just um, wild. You know, like you said, (laughs) it is a wild trip. (laughs) It's wild. It's one of my favorite words these days. It's just, it's just wild. (laughs) (laughs) And I appreciate that. So that means a lot. I am blessed with my partner in life and how well she knows me and how well we're able to spin off each other and be intuitive with each other. There's elements of me and my makeup that's just um, kind of a grit and bear it kind of guy. You know, well, this is what it is and this is what I have to do. And, you know, I kind of keep my head down and just keep doing it. And she is this shot of life, breath of fresh air Mm -hmm. uh, and all the other cliches that pull me out of that mode and help me to get up above the smoke line to have some perspective on things. So, and it's almost like I need permission to take my foot off the gas pedal at times. And she's the one that's always giving me the permission to do that. That's beautiful. It's what allowed you to turn your attention and focus on doing something different that seems to be bringing you a lot of joy. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings us to really the transition from that experience into what has become another wonderful and wild (laughs) ride here in my life. Um, I'm 39. I'll be 40 in March. And I am venturing into something that, yes, yes, I grew up in and I was surrounded by for many years. But at the same time, never have I opened a restaurant from scratch and ran a restaurant 
and managed a restaurant. I've been a employee in restaurants and an employee of my family. <laughs> it's always fun, never a dull moment. But venturing into something that I had familiarity with and got excited about, but had never done or had experience in doing until now. Like you're getting to do something totally from scratch, like you said. It's super successful. It's only been open for a short time. And I don't know if this is a good time to come to how Zuzu's Petals ended up getting its name. Yeah. Frank Capra's timeless film, It's a Wonderful Life, 1946, is this holiday classic. You know, it's become this holiday classic over many years now that you see pop up all the different channels run it and you see it on the cover at the newsstands. You got Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey. You got Donna Reed, his wife in the film, and their children, their family, uh, and all the players around George's life. And grew up watching the classics, grew up watching Turner Classic movies. And this one was like always top three. And we'd watch it as a family together. So many poignant moments in the film, touching moments in the film. Frank Capra is just one of my favorites with expressing the human condition, as we like to say, the human condition. And it's a film about humanity. And I'll, I'll probably, I get, I tear up a little bit just thinking about the film. Um, you have this guy, George, and I resonate with George. I, I feel connected to him. And I have for many years, he sacrifices, his work ethic is high, he puts others before himself, he tries to do what's for the good of the community, he sees the evil out there, and he tries to protect and insulate people from it through his little savings and loan company, giving families loans that would otherwise have not been approved to start their homes and their families, building homes for them. And despite all his best efforts, in his opinion, and how much he's given and not asked for in return, he gets to a point in the film where he feels like it was all for naught. And it makes him bitter and uh, maybe a bit resentful and angry. And these are all human feelings and experiences too, the, the cycle of experience. And towards the end of the film, he really just wishes that he never was around, that he and everyone else would have been better off without him. There were times post-car accident that I shared those feelings and that I wondered what it was all for and what was the point. You know, why did I have to suffer so much? And there was so much suffering in the wake of that car accident, emotionally, physically. Sounds spiritually too. Very much so. Uh, spiritually bankrupt, as they say, and uh, not connected with any purpose or meaning, not understanding what, what was going on or why. And he gets his wish fulfilled. He is able to see what his life would be like or what life in this town would be like without him if he had never existed. Kind of like a ghost of Christmas past yeah. thing. And he gets through the help of this angel that comes down to facilitate this journey, Clarence. Uh, he gets to go and see... In his lowest point, when he's suicidal and he wishes he never existed, he gets his wish granted. And he goes back into the town to see what life would be like if he never existed. And it was actually a nightmare for him, a bad one. And people were not better off without him. And the town wasn't better off without him. And the love of his life did not end up better off without him. And his children never existed. And these were all just horrors to him. And through seeing that sequence and living it and experiencing it, he desperately needs to be back in his life again. And he wishes for what he had. And a few minutes prior, what he had wasn't cutting it. He wasn't, he wasn't grateful for that. And now 
he just wishes for what he had and what he had was, was perfect. Um, but he had to go through a nightmare to see that what he had was everything. And at the moment he realizes that he is back in his life, that he was granted the wish of becoming him again and having the life that he had, he pulls out his daughter, Zuzu's petals, rose petals out of his pocket. (laughs) And he pulls them out and he looks at them and he says, Zuzu's petals, Zuzu's petals. And here I am, you know, tearing up. um, Because in that moment, he is grateful, despite everything he'd been through, to have the life that he had. And to be the person he was and have the relationships that he had. And for me, Zuzu's petals represent being grateful, having gratitude for your life. And Zuzu's petals represent new beginnings, new perspective, a fresh start, if you will. And when it came to developing the idea of opening a restaurant, I was just dead set on calling it Zuzu's Petals. Incredible. You made me tear up. I like looking for tissues around my desk here. Um, That's incredible and inspiring. And you just put It's a Wonderful Life in my top 10 again. Um, And in fact, I think when we're done with our talk, I'm probably going to go and watch it and have a box of tissues next to me i always do when i watch it i set up the box right next to me <laughs> oh my gosh. i don't make it five minutes into the film before the first tears come down oh yeah it is a wonderful film and i agree with everything you said about frank capra and it does have so many similarities to what you went through there's something about being able to connect with a story that is similar to yours, like knowing that you're not alone and then also seeing the positive on the other side that helps to inspire you to continue on and, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of um, a wind to your back so that you can continue to move forward. And I love that that's what you called the restaurant. That's beautiful. And I'm still sitting here wiping tears off of my face. Um, (laughs) So how did you come up with the concept of what it was going to be after getting the name? Um, When I was in the practice working, I was neighbors with Jesse Franco. And Jesse had this cafe down the stairs from my office called the Cove Cafe. And he signed a lease the same year I signed a lease in 2017. And we got to know each other quite well over those years. I'd go down there and eat weekly, sometimes several times a week. I tried everything on the menu. I tried new things on the menu as the menu changed with the seasons. I supported the restaurant During the pandemic, uh, Jesse got creative to sustain the business, as so many had to at that time. And I would get, you know, trays of pre-made lasagna to go and throw in the oven at home. And I got to know him as a person. That's just who I am. You know, I I like to get to know people and see what we have in common or, or celebrate our differences. But we got to know each other, got to talking. Um, I'd pick up things over time that I wasn't even aware that I was logging in my brain. And, you know, Jesse had mentioned over time that one day he'd like to go and try opening a restaurant at a maybe a little bigger location, maybe with a little more visibility, maybe a little more seating capacity, and one that had an actual kitchen, a full commercial kitchen, because Jesse was making this magic happen out of this little kind of alcove where he was just plugging in his equipment, plugging in flat tops, plugging in panini machine, you know, a couple refrigerators. And that was the operation. Wow. And the food was amazing. I was, I was just always blown away by how unique and tasty yet straightforward it was. And so 
at the time of this sabbatical that I was taking from seeing people and I was like kind of hashing things out in my brain, I was talking with Nina, we had a couple ideas of maybe different vocations to look into or to try out. I pursued a couple avenues that ended up being clear to me that they weren't a good fit or they weren't right at the time. And I'm sitting there one day in my office upstairs and I'll never forget this. I'm sitting there, I'm looking up at the ceiling. I kind of have this, uh, you know, gosh, what is next here? Like I'm, I'm drawing blanks again. Uh, I need to start doing something. I need to feel excited again about my purpose. And boom, bingo, the light bulb went on. And the light bulb said, go downstairs, ask Jesse when there's a good time to talk and pitch him the idea of opening a restaurant together. Wow. And I lit up from my toes to my hair follicles on my head. And this beam of light just came into my soul. Um, Not that I'm being dramatic in any way. Um, And I felt relief, Syl. I felt relief for the first time in a long time that something I had thought about doing was viable, perhaps, and made sense and was something that I could do. Because the reality was at the time and still today – I still love people. I love interacting with people and particularly providing an experience for people that makes them happy and lights them up. Wow. And I just had come to the end of the road in working in mental health with people. Um, I jokingly say these days, I still like people. I just maybe don't like their problems as much as I used to. I used to love people's issues and what brought them into my office and the background behind it. And the bandwidth for that just went down very much so as I battled feeling like I needed to keep things as simple as I could in my life. You mentioned the word complexity earlier. and. Mm-hmm. It's a word that resonates so much with me these days because I try every day to keep things as simple as I can. And mental health is not simple work. It's very complex. Running a restaurant can be complex, but there's elements of it that are very straightforward. And I felt like I could do something like that that was a little more straightforward, like the the interaction, the interplay in the providing of service being much more straightforward. And so rather than a client walking in the door with complex multi-generational trauma that is now going to be on my caseload for six to 12 months, working every week with difficult measurables for success and deconstructing and reconstructing systems that now I could work with a customer that walks in the door of the restaurant. They're hungry. They're thirsty. We have food. We have drink. They pick what they want. We serve it. We got to do it well. And if we do, maybe they'll be happy and, and satisfied with their experience and we'll thank them and hopefully they'll come again. And that is the simplicity that brought joy to my heart. So I ran downstairs. I told Jesse my idea. We talked. The formulation of the restaurant was born and we took it slow, like any relationship that becomes lasting, I feel. We went into it with caution, a great deal of mutual respect and patience and mindfulness and listening to each other. And we said that, you know, if at any point along the way, our ideologies are in too much disagreement over concept and designs and menus and operations, then, you know, we'll just chalk it up to a, an experience and go our own ways. No harm, no foul. But if we continue to see eye to eye with everything, then 
we'll get to a point where we sit down and make things official and draw up a partnership and go for it. And that's what we did. So we're here now. It's the latter part of 2021 and we're in development with the restaurant and you know, menu and the look, the colors, the type of location we wanted, the type of rent we could afford, and all the little things that go into opening a restaurant that the customer doesn't see day one when they walk in. And when it came to the name, you know, I told Jesse a version of what we just talked about and, you know, Zuzu's Petals, um, he loved it. And there was no argument, not once, about what we should name ourselves and what we should go with and the story behind it, the meaning behind it, and what we want to try to cultivate at the restaurant as a result. And so off we were to the races. And, you know, it's been very organic with Jesse and I. We have similar taste. We are good at telling each other when something is meaningful and Jesse's talent is, I feel like it's, it's not, he hasn't even reached his peaks yet as a chef and, and a, really an artist. The food that comes out of our kitchen at Zuzu's is extraordinary and yet it's simple. Our reviews speak for themselves only having been open just over three months the community has embraced us, which has been so wonderful. And we're in this area of the East Village that's great for foot traffic and people out walking their dogs, riding their bikes, and thanking us really for opening something of this nature in their community and providing this service. And I hadn't thought about it really like that. But this service to the community of providing a place to come to where the food and the drink, the quality of food and drink are so high that people are overwhelmed when they dine with us. And I've seen it now time and time again and uh, ask us to come over to the table to profusely explain how wonderful the experience they're having is. And we're just smiling ear to ear and kind of pinching ourselves because this dream, this idea of Jesse's and of mine has become reality. And to get to the opening day with lots of hurdles and ups and downs and, you know, the learning curve was high and doing things for the first time, never interfaced with city officials to upgrade a water meter or gas meter or call Edison out to get an upgraded electrical panel, interfacing with contractors and government agencies for licenses and permit fees. And then your next phone call, your next email, you're looking at equipment and the type of water glasses you're going to use. So there's this creative process wrapped up in this really gritty, you know, lunch pail type process of getting the work done and being on site. And it was wild. Again, wild experience, surreal. We fought, we scratched, we clawed, we prayed, (laughs) and we finally made it to opening day. And we opened on uh, April the 28th, 2023 this year. And it's been a wild ride. I'm down there all the time. Even today, uh, being a day off for me, I was down there this morning meeting with a city official and our contractor about building a little enclosure for our sidewalk dining area. Oh, that'll be really nice. Yeah, we're, you know, the upgrades are little by little and will evolve as time goes on. But our message and on what we're about, we want to stay constant and we want to cultivate that feeling of having gratitude for what you have and joy for what you have when people come in. And we want to express that through our service, through our food, through our beverages, through the entire experience, the ambiance, the music, the way we've set it up, the the colors we've picked out, the designs we've picked out in this little spot over in the East Village where Zuzu's Petals was born. Wonderful. I just had a huge smile on my face the whole time you were saying that. But I mean, it's just such a powerful empowering and inspiring story. There's so much meaning wrapped 
up in that restaurant and you mentioned the music, you know, all the way down to the music. And and I have to say when I was there, I did notice the soundtrack that was playing and it does inspire joy. The food inspires joy, the service, the music, your entire story. And I'm so thrilled for you. I can't wait to see what more you're going to be doing because it's already spectacular. And I just had to laugh because, yeah, you can't help but gush over the food. It's it's so great. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yep. And Jesse is putting out seasonal offerings. We just dropped our new menu, our summer menu last week with new items. What? I had to come back. You got to come back through. We got the Dutch baby pancake. We got the acai bowl. We have the lobster roll, the summer strawberry salad now. Everything oh my God, from that sounds so good. Brioche French toast to chicken and waffles to the breakfast sandwich. Very creative coffee combinations, uh, blueberry mint matcha latte, uh, synagave shaken espresso. It's wonderful. The honey lavender latte. Yeah, it's uh, we're trying to do two things well. Um, make sure the quality of everything coming out is at the highest level and that that quality is something that when possible is sourced locally and when possible that we can make something ourselves, we'll make it in-house from our jam that goes with our bread to our batters to our latkes to you name it if we can do it in-house we'll do it so it's fresh um pineapple agua fresca we're making in-house right now for the summer for the heat uh it's very refreshing and that it's consistent um and it lasts uh through the experience of every person and that if someone's dissatisfied we're gonna work our butts off to try to help them feel satisfied before they leave wow it's an entire experience to be there. <laughs> and I love the attention to detail. It seems to me that you're bringing a lot of what you did in making sure that people are seen. Yes. And that they feel like they've been treated their best and given the best experience from your days as a therapist. You're translating that into the restaurant business. And that's one of the things that makes Zuzi Petals so unique. And again, a place that you just want to keep returning to. It's a place where people belong when they show up to place that order. Thank you for saying that. That means a lot. And feeling like you've been seen is very important to us. When we talk with staff, when we train staff and bring people on board, I'm looking for people who uh, I don't care if they don't know how to make a latte or if they've never worked in service before, uh, I care if I feel like I can connect with them and I feel like I can be seen by them because I know that they're going to be able to do that with customers. And that's something that is hard to teach. I could teach latte art. I could teach service. I can't teach personality. I can't teach warmth. And when someone comes in our doors, we want them to feel seen and we want them to feel the warmth of being in our environment while they're there. Those two things are paramount. And you put it best when you said it. And I hope that you experienced that when you came in as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I am going to come back and get some agua fresca, <laughs> pineapple agua fresca, and uh, a couple of the other things. That lobster roll sounds amazing. So I'll be back for all of that. Where can people follow Zuzu's Petals? And more importantly, where can they go to experience the joyfulness of the restaurant and the fantastic menu? And I'm going to stop there before I keep gushing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you are on Instagram, you can follow our weekly journey, our new offerings, our hours, our specials. You can find us at Zuzu's Petals Eatery, Z-U-Z-U-S, Petals, P-E-T-A-L-S, Eatery, E-A-T-E-R-Y, and you'll find us there. 
We have our website, zuzuspedalseatery.com. We're located at 801 East 3rd Street in Long Beach, and that's in the East Village, uh, just past downtown, but before Belmont Shore, if you're coming from the West. And it's right off of Alameda, right? Yeah, Alamitos uh, is a major cross street and third. Come down and see myself or Jesse. One of us is there every day of the week, and we're excited to serve you. We're excited for you to have an experience that might stay with you and bring you joy. First and foremost, a big thank you to Evan for sharing his story It's heroic and inspiring. And to me, it really represents how perseverance and determination, an indefatigable spirit and a circle of supportive family and friends can help overcome even the biggest of challenges. It's peppered with so many clues in addition to that on how to build strong relationships and bonds with others. They're timeless lessons on how to live and Then there's the food, the food of a restaurant build on a foundation of friendship. If you are anywhere near Long Beach, head over to Zuzu's Petals Eatery as soon as you can to experience warm service and amazing food. Please check out the show notes. I'll put links in there on how to follow Zuzu's Petals Eatery and information on how to actually get there. Um, Also, please keep sending in your questions and comments. I do read them all. If you have a fun story or an amazing story or an inspiring story, drop me a line. I would love to talk to you. The world needs more amazing stories. Please also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T H E Q U A I N T R E L E Podcast. I am Syl Annan, The Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, ambition, kindness, perseverance, good food elegance and beauty and you have this kind of level of desensitization desensis i'm having trouble with that word desensitization thank you (laughs) yes where can people follow zuzu's petals and more importantly importantly let me try that again i'm sorry I don't know why my tongue is too big for my mouth today, but here we go.